Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. All right. Well, if you're new to our church, my name is Dave. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. And we've been working through a series on the book of James. It's a letter that the younger brother of Jesus wrote to the church scattered throughout the area of the Roman Empire. And it's one of those letters that's very, very practical. And this morning, we're going to turn to a passage, verses, one through, uh, verses 5 through 8 in chapter 1, that deals with the topic of wisdom, spiritual, biblical wisdom. Uh, here's the passage. I'm going to read it with you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I don't know if you know who this lady is, but her name is Corrie Ten Boom, And she's a Dutch Christian who very famously um, risked her life many, many times over uh, during World War II to rescue many, many Jews from the Holocaust. Um, If you don't know her, please get to know her story. She wrote a a book that's very well known called The Hiding Place. And uh, what an incredible testimony of risking everything for what you believe in. Well, Corrie Ten Boom survived World War II, um, and she went on to teach in Christian settings. And one of the things she often did when she taught was she traveled with the tapestry to teach an aspect of life that I think is very important. Here's what the tapestry looked like. And what you show it is, when you think about what life is like, it's like this. We're watching our lives take shape as if God is weaving a tapestry, but we see only the backside of the tapestry. Okay? And often, when you look at a weaving from behind, this is what it looks like. It's, it's a hot mess. I mean, you can, you can basically discern shapes and colors, but you don't see the picture very clearly. And the encouragement is that God is weaving the tapestry from the other side, and he sees what we can't always see. And so she would show them this tapestry and then flip it around, and it would look like this on the other side. And now there's clarity. There's crisp colors, there's distinction of different things, and there's beauty there. And the lesson she's trying to teach is we who are finite and limited and human will watch the unfolding story of our lives and often despair or feel confused because we don't understand what we're seeing. We don't even like what we see much of the time. But wisdom and faith amounts to this, that we trust God is weaving this life of ours from the other side, and he will see beauty where we can't. And he will see meaning where we can't. And so wisdom is turning over our faith to God to say, I will not set my heart based on what I see, but what I believe God sees and what I know to be real in faith. I think that's important because James is assuming of his audience that like us, life is not an easy thing. For some of us, life is, you know, we have first world problems like we can't decide what to order at Meadhead's 
And that's like the biggest problem we might have on a given day. But, but for a lot of people today, even in the United States, in a wealthy, well-fed country like the U.S., life is difficult. There's trials all the time. And, and what he's saying is, because life is hard, our Christian faith must be able to address the toughness of life. It can't be in the pie in the sky, you know, uh, leave it to beaver kind of setting where everything is wonderful and everybody's nice. That's not the faith we have. Our faith is a real faith that meets head on the trials of this real life and helps us to understand and process it. Last week we learned out of James 1 verses 2 to 4 that the overarching goal of God in our lives is to use whatever he can to produce spiritual maturity in us. Whether it's good times or bad times, God's one unchanging agenda for us is he wants to drive our lives toward a greater spiritual maturity. And so this picture is that he wants to make us mature and complete, which those two words actually translate one Greek word, which, which is better translated perfect. He is in pursuit of a perfect faith in us. Perfect meaning complete, not lacking anything. I mentioned last week that we're all in pursuit of perfection somewhere, whether it's a perfect career or portfolio or body or home. We're pursuing perfection somewhere, but very few people today are in pursuit of a perfect faith. That's the one thing without wavering that God is after every day in every situation in our lives. Pay attention to that little phrase, not lacking anything, because it will bridge us to the passage we're going to look at this morning. Every human being has to go through trials. But if we have wisdom, we will also be able to grow through those trials. And what the Bible teaches is that the key, the key difference between just going through trials and enduring them or growing and flourishing through them is something that the Bible calls wisdom. When you look at Psalm 111.10, here's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. What the Bible calls wisdom begins with something that's called the fear of the Lord. And don't be thrown off by the word fear. That's not fear as in terror, but fear as in respect and acknowledgement. Biblical wisdom, then, is learning to give acknowledgement first to God in every situation. That before we throw our hands up in panic or despair, before we interpret what's going on around us, we pause and say, God sees something I don't see. He's looking at the other side of this tapestry called my life. And so wisdom is this habit of turning to God first and acknowledging him and saying, God, I know what I see, but the real story really is what you see. See, that's the key between just enduring your life and flourishing through your life is to develop what the Bible calls wisdom. It is the idea that God has the priority in every situation, and what he's trying to do is more important than what I'm trying to do. When we learn to yield to that, something good will begin to happen in our lives. And so the key of the passage we're going to look at this morning is James is saying, well, if this is the key to flourishing through trials, if biblical wisdom is what we really need to have, how do you get it, and what does it look like? So the first thing we're going to look at is this. He just simply says, if you don't have it, ask. Look what he says very, very plainly. People love James because he doesn't mince words. He goes right to it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. I think most of us 
on a regular basis, try to take stock of our lives. And most of us are pretty aware of what we're lacking, aren't we? I mean, there are a few people you know who are oblivious. They don't realize they're lacking so much. They think they are just awesome in every way. Um, But most people are pretty aware of what they lack. Now, think about some of the things, the areas of life where you're lacking. And if you think about it, most places where we're lacking, that human lack produces despair or discouragement. Because when we discover we're lacking something, as human beings, it's not always easy to do something about it. I mean, all through my childhood, I despaired over my lack of height. I'm not the shortest person in the world, but I always wanted to be taller. And no matter how much I dwelt on it, honest truth is, this is what I'm going to be. And here's the crazy part. When I was in high school, I was almost 5'7". Guess how tall I am now? I'm 5'5 and 3 quarters. I'm in my mid-40s. I shrank over an inch. That happens. That's the medical. I looked it up. It's on the Internet, so it's got to be real. People shrink, and I've lost an inch. So not only have I lacked, I've gone backwards in the one thing that really has bothered me. Some of us lack finances or maybe long to have more physical beauty, and there's not much we can do about it. So we think about all these things you're lacking. I wish I had a better job. I wish I had better parents. I wish... And at the end of it, you go, but this is what I have, and there's no store where I can just go and trade in my life for a new one. Here's the encouragement, though. When you, when you realize you lack something in spirituality, there is always hope for us that something can be done about that. And that's the great irony is we obsess over all the things we don't have that is hard to do anything about. But the one thing that is so freely available, very few of us ever really dwell on or develop a hunger for. It's like longing to have something and not getting it while the the very best thing is right in front of us and we never develop hunger for that thing. To gain wisdom, the first step is to have an honest assessment of yourself. Do you know what you lack and don't lack? How, how many of us know whether we are wise or are not wise? Well, if James describes wisdom as being able to flourish through pain, if wisdom is being able to see what God is up to in the midst of our trials, let me ask you this. How do you normally respond to tough times in your life? And I'm not even talking about major catastrophe. I'm talking about even, remember last Sunday I preached about a train uh, that is in my neighborhood and really causes a lot of grief. Well, I had gone to Starbucks to do a little study with Jordan. And on the way back, we had drank a lot of coffee and tea and our bladders were full. But we said, let's just go home. What irony. Because <laughs> I preached about this great attitude regarding this train. And as we're coming up on it, there is a train and it's just parked. And then it starts moving forward and stops. And it starts going the other way. I'm like, is this guy drunk? What is going on? And then I looked at Jordan, and I just said, we're going to grow through this. And she goes, I know, but I've got to pee really bad. And I realized my bladder was full, and this train sat on the tracks, listen, 18 minutes. 18 minutes. Even in something as small as a full bladder and a slow train, where does your heart usually take you? Where do your thoughts usually drift? What is your knee-jerk first impulse every time something goes bad? Let me be honest. Is your habit of your heart usually, oh, well, there we go again, of course. 
Of course this is going to happen because it's me. It's my life. God hates me. The universe has it out for me. Of course it's going to happen because nothing good ever happens to me. Is that what happens? Is that where your mind takes you? Because you'll know how you're doing in biblical wisdom based on your normal, natural response to difficulties. Some of us really don't deal with trials well at all. Small trials, it doesn't matter. Every negative thing produces a very negative response, and there is no counter voice. There's no other response available to us except despair and bitterness and self-pity. If that's where you find your heart takes you, then here's the news for you. You may be lacking in biblical wisdom. And there's no shame in admitting that. You can't grow unless you're aware of what you don't have. Because you can't ask for what you think you have already. There are a lot of people who believe themselves to be very wise, but by every biblical definition, don't have the kind of wisdom that gets us through our lives. And so James says, if you discover that you're lacking this, he gives a very simple, practical suggestion. Ask God for it. Ask him. Later on, a few chapters later, James, he'll, he'll return to the same. He'll say, the reason you don't have so much is because you don't ask. There are so many things we don't have because it never occurs to us, why don't I just ask him? Why don't I just ask him? You know how it's a running joke that men, when they're lost, hate stopping for directions? Well, a British insurance company decided to try to quantify this. I think it might have been one of the female executives in the British insurance company that tried to quantify this because she was probably sick of her man, never pulling over to ask for directions. Here's what they discovered. They discovered that men, when they're lost, refuse to stop, and they end up on average, at least this is British men, I don't know about American men, British men drive an extra 276 miles every year. Listen to this. British men drive an extra 276 miles every year just because they refuse to ask for directions. At current gas prices, that's about $3,100 of wasted gas every lifetime. We might make fun of men who are too stubborn to ask, but I think we're like that in the spiritual realm. That, That... We can't admit we're lacking things, and then when we discover we're lacking them, it doesn't occur to us that God might be able to give us what we haven't been able to develop by ourselves. See, there's no reason in the spiritual realm to beat yourself up or despair over all the things you're lacking, because in the spiritual realm, unlike in the financial or physical realm, all those things are freely and readily available. The ones who seek those things get them time and time again. There isn't this high bar of entry. God doesn't have bouncers at the door going, no, no, you got you to gotta stay out here. He doesn't lift the velvet ropes for some people and not others. Anyone who wants to grow spiritually can grow spiritually. This is not a weed out kind of thing. Now listen, we don't pursue spiritual maturity to try to get on God's good side. There isn't some spiritual GPA and you get a better condo in heaven if you had a higher GPA. It's not the way it works. The reason we're motivated to pursue spiritual maturity is not because we want to curry favor with God, but because life is so hard without it. We suffer so unnecessarily by being immature in our hearts. 
I mean, part of the reason that counselors have a job is to speak truth and wisdom to people who are having a hard time getting through life because they're trying to muddle through it without that wisdom. They can't see. To have no wisdom and to go through a hard life is like stumbling about in the dark as a blind person, stubbing your toes everywhere you go. The value of spiritual maturity is not to get in the good graces of God, but because God knows life is hard, and this is his provision for making it through this life. And if you don't have it, not only is life going to suck, it's going to suck and it's going to be hard. It won't get better because you won't be getting stronger. And that's why I want to give to you this motivation for spiritual growth is not to look better in front of people or in front of God. It's to become equipped for real life because if you don't have it, you're really, really going to struggle a lot over the course of the years ahead. And so he says, why don't you ask if you discover that you come up short in the wisdom department because you have to have wisdom to get through this world. And when he says ask... What is he really saying? He's saying pray, right? He's saying pray. So what he's saying is when you find you lack something, the right response, the smart response, is to pray to God and wait for him to provide what you cannot get for yourself. Now, here's the thing. Whenever we pray for anything, but especially when we're asking God for something, the attitude we have, the confidence we feel in those prayers is entirely a response to what we think about God at that moment. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And then here's what he adds so we understand who we're praying to. Because we have a God who gives generously to all without reproach. Let me just unpack that a little bit for you because let's be honest about it. Let's say you really need something. You want to move to California. You got a job interview in California. I don't know why everyone wants to go to California. Such, such boring weather, the same all the time. When do you get to live through minus 30? That's like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. We get it out here. Why would anyone want to go to California? Anyway, you want to move to somewhere warmer, so you get a job interview, and you feel like, ah, oh, I didn't do that great. I really want this job. And so you begin to pray. But as you're praying, something is going on, isn't it? As you're praying, you're wondering, how confident am I that this prayer is going to be answered? Now, let me ask you something. When you usually pray for something you want, how do you determine the confidence level as you pray? If we're really honest, most of us, our confidence in our faith is actually the product of analysis. What we're doing is saying, well, let me replay that interview. Oh, man, no, I, don't, I don't know, man. They asked me a, about tech, a tech question, and I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never heard of that programming language. And so you're, you're processing the whole thing, replaying it, and you're analyzing what is the likelihood that I'm going to get what I'm after. And if the likelihood is low, then your confidence, even as you pray, is low because you live in the real world and you've determined this is a long shot, a Hail Mary pass. You know, even when you're watching your favorite team play a game, when, when that quarterback releases, and while the ball's in the air, that's how your heart feels. Like, I don't know. I, he's missed six of those already. I just don't know what's going to happen. And isn't that the truth about faith as it's practiced and it's experienced by most of us? Is that what we call faith or our confidence in prayer is usually the product of looking at our lives and looking inward and analyzing and saying, well, I think this is a pretty good bet, so I feel good about this prayer. Because even without the prayer, there's at least a 50-50 shot. That's not faith. That's just analysis. That's actuarial science. 
And, and if that's the way we determine how confident we are in our prayer, it's no wonder we have crises of faith. And when we pray, we don't pray with a great deal of confidence. Here's what James is saying about, about faith. is Faith is not something we get by digging inward and becoming more confident in ourselves. It's not, it's not something where we become, become more confident in an outcome we desire. But faith is the result of looking at God and responding naturally to what we think God is like. So here's what he says about God. God gives generously. That word is a very interesting word in Greek. It doesn't just mean generous. It also means single-minded. It means that God's one unwavering desire is for us to ask for spiritual maturity so he can give it to us. He's not trying to withhold it the way I sometimes mess around with my dogs. If I have a stray scrap of bacon, I, I, I'm so bad. I, I try to, here you go, and I go like this. Just to see the look of disappointment in my little puppy's face, because it's just cute. God doesn't do that because he's not a jerk like I am. When it comes to spiritual maturity, the heart of God is single-minded. It's unwavering. He wants so badly for us to ask so that he could say yes. He wants so badly for us to ask so that he can say yes. And here's the other part of it. I think this is such an important little tidbit to get because I think it's practical for us. He doesn't just give generously and single-mindedly. He gives without reproach. What does it mean to give with reproach? It means, all right, I'm going to give it to you, but you're going to get a lecture too because here's what giving with reproach sounds like. Sure, I'll lend you the money again, but I don't know what you did with the money I gave you last time. Or, fine, I'll give you a ride to the bus stop, but you know, I wouldn't have to if you'd gotten your butt out of bed earlier. It's giving with a lecture. It's giving with reservation. It's not this generous, open-handed giving. It's giving, but man, I wish I didn't have to do this. You're really putting me up, and all right. It's giving with the spirit of martyrdom. Like, all right, all right. That's the way we give. And that's why when somebody knocks on our door one too many times, they're nervous because people give differently than God does. People give like this, oh, gosh, really? I helped you last week. You're asking me again. Don't you have any boundaries? Don't you understand that I have my life too? And so even when you're in need, isn't there some people, aren't there some people you've asked too many times? You're like, so sorry, but could you watch our kids again? And even as you're asking, your skin is crawling because you're wearing out your welcome. And the crazy thing is because we're like that, sometimes we assume God's like that. And we're nervous as we ask God, as if he doesn't want to answer our prayers. As if God's stingy, he's going, I've got only so many healings, and I've got only so many blessings, and I just, ah, man, I gave you one last week. Let me give Johnny one this week. That's not the spirit of God at all, but if that's the way you think of him, then it'll definitely shape the way we pray. The right way to think about God every time we pray, but especially when we pray for spiritual maturity, is this. This is a God who has been waiting all day for me to ask for this. And the moment I ask, he will set in motion whatever it takes to grant me what I've asked for because he wants me to be mature, because he wants me to flourish in life even when it gets hard. He doesn't want to see me knocked down and bleeding in the gutter. He wants to see me walk through the storm and make it to the other side. It's exactly the same feeling we have for our own children before we send them out into the world. Man, I I hope you you have enough strength now to make it through all the stuff that the world's going to throw at you. 
That's the heart of a father. And that's the heart of God for us. And no matter how stupid we've been, how unwise we've been, when we say, God, here I am again, I'm just not wise, man. I tried, but I can't. Help me, God. And when we ask that, God isn't going, you are such a dummy. How many times are you going to have to bump your head on the He doesn't say that at all. He just goes, okay, I'm glad you came. You're asking, I'm saying yes. Do you understand that the only way you're going to grow in faith is to look at God? We don't grow in faith by digging deep, looking inward and saying, how come I don't believe enough? That's not where faith comes from, is a soul-searching, deep mining of my own heart. Faith is always a response to what we think God is like. Faith is always the product of looking at God, not looking inward at ourselves. And so that's why James then with confidence can say, listen, you have to ask God when you find you come up short. But every time you ask God, here's the one condition he'll place on it. You've got to believe. There are not many other conditions, but when you ask God for something, the one condition placed on it is you've got to have faith. Here's exactly how he says it. If you ask, ask him, but ask in faith. Ask in faith. What exactly is faith? Like we said, faith is not some property of human beings. We don't say things like this. Oh, that person has lots of faith, but I don't have very much faith. Faith isn't like business smarts. Faith isn't like vertical leap. You know, these aren't internal properties to each person. Faith is simply a measure of just how odd they've been by who God is. So when you say, I've got a lot of faith, there's nothing to boast about. It just means I've seen more of God than you have. I look at him and I'm more awed by him than you have been. But that same God that awes me is freely available to you. That's what I love about faith. It's not like net worth. It's not like height or physical beauty. It's not something that is locked into each person and those who don't have it will just never have it. But faith is a human response to an amazing God. That's why when I read stories about guys like George Mueller who prayed for milk for his orphans and a milk truck crashes outside his orphanage that very hour, I'm like, dang, that guy has a lot of faith. No, I should really be saying, man, he sees God in ways I don't yet. I've got to get that God. I've got to learn to look at God differently because George Mueller doesn't have some mystical quality. He just opened his eyes and looked and goes, yeah, that's God. These orphans need milk. God will give that milk. Why don't I look at God like that? Why do these orphans need milk? How much do we have in the checking account? What's his milk cost at the grocery store? Do we know any dairy farmers we can squeeze for a favor? That's the way I think. I look at God. I look at my troubles, then I look at my assets, and then I look down at the ground in despair. It's not that I lack faith. I just haven't looked upward yet at God. Because that's where faith comes from. Here's what the writer of Hebrews tells us about faith. First of all, without it, it's impossible to please God because God takes the lack of faith personally. Because faith, if it's a response to him, means that when we don't have faith, we think very little of him. 
He said, whoever would draw near to God must, what? Here's what faith is. Believe first that he exists, that like he's present in every situation. He really is out there. And that's no small thing, okay? Just because you've been going to church all your life doesn't mean you actually believe God exists. I know in your head you always believe it. I know it's the right Sunday school answer, and your kids would be shocked if you told them, Daddy doesn't always believe God exists. (gasps) What? But the truth is, we don't always believe God exists, do we? There have been a lot of times in our lives where at that moment, we were dealing with it the exact same way people who don't know God deal with it. What the heck are we going to do? Oh my gosh, we freak out, we panic, we struggle, because at that moment, God really doesn't exist. And the, the trials of life force us to pull God into the situation, to remember in faith, That God exists. And not only that, that the way God exists is he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He doesn't just dwell out there, but he's watching. He's attending to the earth. He's paying attention to what happens in our lives. And when we seek him, one of the things our God does is he meets us there. He shows up in the lives of people who are looking to see him. That's what faith is. When we ask God for something, that's the one condition we must have is we must bring God into our lives and acknowledge he's there. Truly believe that even in this situation, he exists. And that as we believe that, we also believe that when we seek him, he will not play peekaboo with us. He will not play hide and seek with us. Now, when you try to approach God or pray without that kind of faith, Here's what life's going to feel like. He said, that kind of person who doubts, who doesn't have that faith in God and still tries to pray to God is going to be like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now, James isn't picturing here stormy seas in in a big gale. He's just picturing normal ocean water. But when you watch the ocean, it's never still, is it? Every breeze, every movement of every ship tosses this thing around so that it's at the mercy of whatever pushes it. Water can be strong enough to destroy cities, but it's also weak enough that if a little child in the tub goes like this, water's got to move. That's the way the heart of a person is who does not have faith. Is that even though you have desperate, deep needs, even though you have such a, a desire for God to show up, because you don't believe he's there, As you pray, your heart will rise and sink with every wind that changes your circumstances. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's what your Christian faith feels like. On normal good days, it's just business as usual. But the minute a trial hits, every moment is different. I mean, I know some people like this. I ask them, how are you doing? Uh, Right now? I'm doing all right. Ask me in five minutes. Because in five minutes, you know what might change? God won't change, but what will change is that the wind will blow a different way and suddenly, oh, I just got an email and they're saying, well, we have other candidates we want to talk to first. I don't think I'm going to get the job in California. But then I got another email 10 minutes later that said, but you're definitely in the the top five in that second round. Oh, then I feel better. And this is how we are without faith is that we don't have a rock solid God we're anchored to. So every little change goes, oh, I'm like this, then I'm like this. I'm up and then I'm down and I'm up. You get seasick in your soul because you're constantly rocked by every little thing. There's no stability. There's no anchor. There's just you're floating free in the ocean and every breeze makes you rise or fall. 
Is that what life feels like for some of you right now? Does that sound familiar to you? That every time the wind shifts, your heart changes. Because you feel untethered, unanchored to someone who is rock solid and never moves. And what James says to us is, that is not necessary. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to feel like that because there is a rock solid God who invites you to anchor to him. And when you pray, stop looking at your life and look at him and ask in faith. Because this God sits on the edge of his seat wanting to bless you and grow you in your soul. God can give us things, but the greatest gift God gives us is a growing heart. Because a growing heart allows us to get through the world in one piece. Now he says, when you don't make up your mind about God, when you haven't made that fundamental decision about him, and you still try to pursue a religious life, here's what he says of such a person. They must not suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord. Now, you've got to be careful how you understand that. When I first read it, I thought, oh, so that means unless I have a certain measure of faith or belief, God's going to deny my request. It's not so much that you have to have a certain kind of internal faith to please God, but it's this. When you pray without faith, you're actually not praying. I don't think there's such a thing as faithless prayer. What we call faithless prayer is really just talking to my own heart. It's wishful thinking. You know what separates really intense wishing from praying? is that when I pray, God is now really included in the formula. I'm not just expressing to myself what I badly, badly want. What I'm saying is I want this, and there's a God who can give it. You take God out of that, it's no longer prayer. Here, here's a, another illustration, okay? Have you ever had the experience where someone got real mad at you, like, hey, excuse me, I'm talking to you, and your response is, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were talking to me. Because there are some people who presume every time they open their mouth, everyone stops and goes, what are you saying? What are you saying? Some of my kids are like that. They just start talking. I'm like, do you expect every time you open your mouth and make noise, we stop and pay attention to you? If you want to talk to me, first make sure you're talking to me. I wasn't even looking in your direction. And I think that's the way it's like with God. We're like praying and praying and praying. And he goes, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were talking to me. I thought you were just talking to yourself. Like, oh, please let me move to California. It's so cold here. Oh, please, oh, please. Who are you actually saying please to? Because if you don't actually have God in your heart, then your prayer is not really a prayer at all. It's just wishing really, really badly. Can I, this is not to judge. Can I just challenge you? Think about your prayer life. When you pray, are you really talking to God or are you just wishing real bad? Because I think for some of us, God will say, I, I'm so sorry. I would have paid attention if you were actually talking to me, but I thought you were just talking to yourself. And that's what I think God of James is saying is when you pray, but not to God, but to yourself, you really shouldn't expect that something will come from heaven, right? Because unless you click purchase, Amazon won't send you anything. Unless you direct it to them, nothing's coming in the mail. And I think some of us needed to hear this this morning, that our prayer life is not actually a prayer life. It's a wishing life. It's a will to power life. And the reason it's not a prayer life is because God isn't factored in really at all. 
there is no faith in the way we ask for things. Such a person then is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. That's a very strong term. It literally means a fractured psyche. This is the only, t- this is the only place in the whole Bible where that phrase occurs. In fact, some people think that James made up this phrase. You know how many phrases in our, our common language are, are invented by William Shakespeare? We think they are like normal words. He's the one who invented these weird phrases. This might be one of James's inventions. The idea of being double-minded is literally having a fractured psyche. That the person who wants to believe in God and doesn't want to believe in God has not made up their mind fundamentally about God and wants to play both sides. I think there are some people in churches all over the world who are in that position. They haven't made up their mind fundamentally that God exists and my entire life is based on him. But they say God's available and so is everything else. I'm going to play the field. I'm going to try to have wonderful experience in this world. I'm going to try to get as much goodies as I can. And I'm going to try to make sure God's on my side too. When you live like that, straddling both sides and saying there's a side of me that wants God and there's a side of me that can afford to not have God and I don't want to be pulled into either camp. I've tried life over here and it's scary and it's dirty and it's ugly and it's full of guilt. I don't want to live far away from God but I'm, I'm terrified of going all the way over here and kissing that world goodbye. So maybe you can't do the splits physically, but a lot of us are doing I, I'm not even going to try, but a lot of us are in that position spiritually. One foot solidly planted in both the worlds we'd like to occupy, not realizing that those two worlds are, are separate as can be. A fractured psyche results when a person tries to have God and not have God at the same time. And I wonder if that is not a description of some of our faith right now. The prophet Elijah, many, many years before Jesus, rebuked the people of Israel with these harsh words. How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Listen to the response of the people. People do not answer him a word. They're just like, what? I think that challenge needs to be leveled at the church today. We've prayed without faith and then indicted God for being unfaithful to us. We've wished intensely to our own souls and are surprised and disappointed that God doesn't deliver. Our culture has put God on trial and found him guilty of not being a good and worthy God. But it's not really God who has failed. It's that what we call faith is not always biblical faith. And what we call wisdom is not always biblical wisdom. If you want to grow spiritually, it's not something esoteric and abstract. It's something as simple as this. In all your ways, acknowledge God first. Believe that he really does exist. Don't waver in that conviction. Either he does or he doesn't. And if he exists, he is worth trusting and following. If you find as you take stock of your life, you lack something that is valuable to have. Ask God and believe that God longs to give us the things that will get us through life. 
This is wisdom. This is how we're going to get through trials and grow through them. And if you don't have that wisdom, life is going to chew you up and spit you out. You don't get to 65 and still loving the Lord without wisdom and without faith. You get to 65 bitter and disenchanted and full of regrets if you don't have faith. So I want to encourage you now, this morning, take real stock of what you've called your faith life. And check if God is really front and center in that life. If he's really present. If when you pray, you really picture him. If what you call faith is a response to God and not an internal property of yourself. And if you find that the answer is, well, I'm lacking, here's the good news. All you've got to do is ask. Just tell God, I don't think I've got enough. Come help me, God. The great news is, he really will. God does not reject those who earnestly seek him. I'm going to invite you to bow with me in prayer. I think our world has taught us that there's a little bit of shame in admitting that I lack something. The person who doesn't know how to dance, so they say, well, I have some opposition morally to dancing. The truth is, I just don't know how to dance. I think the world has taught us that it's shameful to be lacking. I think the only shame is in lacking something and not asking for it. I don't for a minute think that all of us in our church are at all times wise and full of faith. Every week I go through days when I really struggle with faith. Whenever that happens, James teaches us, here's the one thing we must do all the time. Get on your knees and ask God. Let him know that you're not going to make it without this. Ask him to give you wisdom and faith. Ask him. Otherwise, you're just going to have to go through all the garbage. And it will break you. You will never grow through it. But if you ask and he grants wisdom, instead of life chewing you up, you can chew it up and spit it out. You can come out standing. I think that's a much better picture. So I want to invite us now to just get quiet before God. And let's do this. Let's take stock of our hearts. Ask yourself, am I wise the way God describes wisdom? Do I have faith the way God describes faith? And if you find you're lacking, spend a few minutes simply asking God to give you what you cannot get for yourself. Let's do that together right now. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.